Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. I'm Benjamin Soller. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Ben. How's it going? Great. You? Pretty good. Awesome. New year. New up. Same us. Yeah. No, we're fine. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. I didn't need to change. <laughs> Neither did you. That's the point. We're all great as we are, but we can also make some improvements, which honestly is why we've been making this show now since 2017. We've got seven seasons. We've got more than 50 episodes featuring interviews with really amazing authors and thinkers uh, who write about all kinds of great ideas that get you a little bit closer to the you that you hope you can be. I mean, we launched with one idea. We want to get to the point of best-selling nonfiction books. And books are a good place to go because books are are where good ideas are disseminated. Uh, So our idea was, and still is, let's get to the point of those books, and then we give some extra reading and further recommendations to dive deeper. That's what Simplify is all about. Yeah, so we wanted to take people right to the stuff that was most impactful and mattered most in this sea of ideas and books. And that's kind of why we're back today, actually. Speaking of seas of ideas, it is the new year, and there are tons of articles, podcasts, people telling you what you need to be doing to have a great 2023. And I don't know about you, Ben, but I don't need those long, long listicles. They make me a little bit anxious, and I would much rather have some distilled stuff to do that will probably actually help me. And that is why we're here. That's what we're doing today. Yeah, I mean, we all know like resolutions don't work. Right. They're short term. Exactly. No one, I'm convinced people only, we only make resolutions because we're so full of food and drink <laughs> and family that we're like, that's it. No exactly. more. I'm taking all of January off alcohol and I'm not eating. I'm going to exercise. Yeah. But it doesn't last like a week. And no. everyone's like, I'm going to eat more meat. Exactly. They're yeah. just Band-Aids. But what's real is habit change. What's real is setting an intention and finding little ways to hack away at it across time. And we have a lot of ideas about how to do that, or not us. Ben and I have no real ideas, but I mean, the people we talk episodes, to do. Right, yeah. In 50 <laughs> episodes, we've. I mean, you've had some amazing conversations with people. We have some really strong ideas that people write you about all the time. All the time. Thank you. Yes. And so we thought, let's do something. Yeah, let's help people out. Let's help them sift through all of the 2023 advice out there and give them three things from three areas of life that everybody is dealing with and thinking about and looking to improve. So those areas are work, life, and relationships. This is where we spend all of our time. This is what we do the most thinking about. These are our three major areas. So today we've got Tiffany Jufu talking you through how to thrive at life, which comes down to having a purpose, kind of. Um, Ken Page, who will talk you through how to thrive at relationships. Ben especially loves this one. And Liz Foslian, who will help us figure out how to deal with our emotions at work and thrive in that arena, too. Yeah, we're com- we're confident about these three from the 50 episodes that we've done because we have the data. These are ones that have stuck with our listeners. These are some of our most popular episodes of all time. And we can really, we can vouch for these. These are strong. And I think these are going to help people out in the next year. Yeah, this is it. Here's your 2023 toolkit. Three things that you can do to thrive in work, life, and relationships. Cool. So we should get into this. Um, At the end of the episode, don't forget, we will recommend some books so you can dive deeper into these topics. Um, Maybe some of Caitlin and my picks from 2022, which was last year. And we have a treat. We're going to share something that Caitlin will explain at the end of the episode that we're pretty excited about. Yeah. Do I tease it now? Do you want to or should we make him wait? Do we? (laughs) I think we make him wait. Okay. Let's get into it. Okay. So we should start with probably one of the most popular episodes of Simplify ever. Actually, it is, in terms of downloads, the most popular episode of all time. Or like what? 270,000 downloads of this episode when last counted. Yeah, it's amazing. And it features Tiffany Dufu. And you did the interview. Do you want to introduce her? Sure. Tiffany Dufu, who is also amazing. I don't like to play favorites, but this conversation really left an impression on me. So Tiffany Dufu, she's the founder and CEO of The Crew, which is like a, a club that matches women in accountability circles to help them meet their life goals. She wrote a book. It's called Drop the Ball. Expect less from yourself, get more from him, and flourish at work and life. And she walked me through some of the most important ideas in that book. The basic premise of the book is that it's okay to drop the ball. That is a a phrase that we have a lot of negative baggage around. But really, Tiffany's idea is that 
you need to drop some balls. You can't be holding on to everything and doing everything because that means that you're not doing any one thing really well. And you're not allowing yourself to thrive and grow into your actual purpose, doing the thing that you're here to do that will fulfill you the very most. Yeah. I mean, we should probably tease what we want to share from this episode, which is again, for next year, something really powerful. It's this idea of imagined delegation. Um, Tiffany explained it to you during the episode, and you were like, I know this thing, but I don't have a name for it. This changed my life. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you'll hear a really a story about the ugly side of me, which um, you know everyone should definitely know about. Uh, yeah, imagine delegation. Cool. So we put together this clip um, and what people should take from Tiffany to apply in 2023. You ready? Let's do it. Today, I wanted to speak with you a little bit about your fantastic book called Drop the Ball. And I've got to say, until reading your book, I had never experienced the phrase drop the ball with a halo around it. It's usually a categorically negative thing. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you mean by dropping the ball? Of course. Well, now dropping the ball means that I've let go of unrealistic expectations of doing it all, that I figured out what matters most to me and what my highest and best use is in achieving that. And most importantly, I figured out how I engage others in this process so that I can live a life that I'm passionate about. There are so many lessons that I learned in reflecting on the journey, but one of the biggest lessons is the importance of just speaking what's on your mind (laughs) and not assuming that people are going to read that. I used to engage in this phenomenon that I call imaginary delegation. Mm -hmm. This is when you assign someone a task and you fully expect them to complete the task. And then when they don't do it, you become very frustrated. It may dawn on you at some point, well, I didn't actually tell them that I wanted them to do this. Like common sense at some point will prevail, but then you'll snap back at common sense. Well, can't he see that the recycling needs to be taken out? I mean, I can see that it's overflowing. Am I the only person around here who can see that? And it sounds, you know, funny to say it out loud, but that's indeed how I was living. Yeah. my life, kind of expecting people to understand what I needed. Right. And part of what I had to learn how to do was to stop assigning people things without communicating it to them out loud and really teach myself how to have intentional conversations, proactive conversations with people who, for the most part, want me to be my best and want to support me, uh, but can't because they don't know how to do it. One of the most special things about this book, actually, what really struck me personally, is that you're so open and candid about some of the ugliest stuff that couples go through. And it's really freeing. And it, I think it's really galvanizing towards change. Um, your story about getting angry at your partner for not doing things on your schedule. I mean, there are a lot of those stories in the book. Um, I can really relate. And I think that, you know, some things might have gone differently in my last relationship if I had read this book. And I, when I was reading the other night, I remembered suddenly that there were times that I lashed out by folding only my own dry clothes and not his. I just leave them on the bed in a heap. Check. <laughs> yeah. I had built up so much resentment over what I perceived as me doing more that I just could not bear to do that one last little thing. And it was awful. I hated myself for it, even as I was doing it. And yet I almost felt entitled to it. Mm-hmm. And I love so much that you talk about these hard feelings in your book in such a candid way. Um, but many women including ones I've talked to while reading your book, can't seem to do that. How do you start to process and clear these emotions so that they don't lead to a disastrous downfall or they don't lead to you bottling things up inside and leaving your partner's dry clothes on the bed in a heap? Mm -hmm. One of my mentors said to me something that I'll never forget, Caitlin. She said, Tiffany, resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You are dying. You are dying and it is your problem and you have got to deal with it. So um, the answer to your question is get help. 
you could go get professional help for things like managing your emotions and figuring out what's going on with you. There are entire industries, the coaching <laughs> industry, you know, yeah. for people who really need support. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So one of the things that I heard there and what you just said is that one of the reasons that women don't drop the ball is that we don't know how to have the conversations that we need to have in order to get the help. And I mean, there are so many cultural barriers to dropping the ball. Um, what are the other reasons that you identify that it's so difficult to relinquish some control and to to take on less responsibility? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons, and certainly for me, is a lack of awareness that you're maintaining control mm. and that, that there's another option. So I did not think of myself as someone who was, you know, grasping onto balls or if you would have said, are you a control freak? I would have said, no, I'm not a control freak. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the things around here that I'm the best at doing, yeah. meaning that this work has to get done. I'm better at doing it than anyone else. Not taking into consideration the fact that, well, maybe you're better because you just do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe other people just haven't had practice. It's not that there's something innate about the way that you're, you know, and really understanding that I was socially conditioned Mm. to believe that I was the best Mm -hmm. at this. You see, because what happens is you assume that you're the one making all of the decisions and that you're setting up your own expectations of yourself when really that's not what's happened. That's not how you arrived at your identity. (laughs) So in some ways, the first step is really understanding how socialization works and how you have been impacted by it the way that everyone else is. Mm -hmm. You know, we all are born into our lives playing certain roles. If you were assigned girl, your first role was probably daughter. If you were assigned boy, it was son. If you had siblings, you became a brother, a sister, friend, a student, a worker, a manager, husband, wife, you know, scholar. We all have all of these roles. And what I find fascinating in talking to so many women over the years and listening to their stories is that even though we're born in different parts of the world, Caitlin, to different families that have different values, somehow, if you took all of these roles and created a job description based on them, we all ended up with the same job description (laughs) for what it means to be a good anything. And so understanding all of this helps you to dig into, well, why is this in my job description? I always encourage people to ask themselves two questions in relationship to their roles, to like actually write out their roles to first ask themselves, what does a good ex do? What does a good manager do? What does a good sister do? And to write out the responses as if you were writing a job description. Mm. And then to ask yourself, how do I know that this is what a good ex does? How do I know that a good worker is always the first to show up and always the last to leave? How do I know that? When you begin to dig into that, what you'll realize is that the answer to that question is never you. You'll go back to, well, I guess my mom did that. That's what my first boss did. That's what I see in the movies. Right. And it's that reckoning that you are not the source of your own expectations of yourself that I actually think is a precursor to, okay, how can I rewrite that job description in a way that works for me? Absolutely. I wanted to circle back to your introduction because it also links up to knowing when it is okay to drop the ball. If you're holding on to all this stuff that you're doing uh, and building up resentment towards your partners at work or or at home, um, how do you know what you can drop the ball on? Mm, that's such a great question. This is why the answer to this dilemma was a book. Mm. (laughs) Um, Because what happens in a book is that you're able to take someone on a psychological journey Mm -hmm. of really uncovering what it is that's getting them blocked. So you can't determine what ball you can drop until you're clear about which balls you should be holding, Mm -hmm. which balls you should be prioritizing, first of all. So you've got to go through a process of getting really clear about what matters most to you. Usually when I ask people what matters most to you, they rattle off different aspects of their lives. My career matters. My kids matter. 
the question I really encourage people to dig into is, what do you hope to achieve in relationship to that area of your life? My career matters to me too, but what matters most is that I'm advancing women and girls Mm, (laughs) in my career. My kids matter to me, but what matters most is that I'm raising conscious global citizens. That kind of clarity is important so that you can then figure out, well, what is my highest and best use to achieve that? Let's take my kids. One of the things that only I can do in relationship to my kids is instill values in them. So when you're thinking about your highest and best use, are there things that other people could do that it wouldn't be callous or irresponsible to delegate? And what are the things that it would be highly callous or irresponsible to delegate? And for me, instilling values is one of those things. So my highest and best use in raising conscious global citizens is engaging my kids in a meaningful conversation every day. Mm. Who did you laugh with today? What choices did you make today? Uh, I have a 14-year-old son who's not feeling my coaching sessions right now, so (laughs) I had to ask him yesterday, oh, if someone, if an alien spaceship came down from outer space and abducted someone from one of your Zoom classrooms today, who would they have abducted? (laughs) And he's like... Oh, they would have taken Jake. I'm like, okay, okay, talk to me, you know, about this. And in that way, I can hopefully help them to develop a positive relationship with themselves, with the world around them, with their teachers. That, Caitlin, is at the top of my job description, my new job description that I've written for what it means to be Mm. a good mom. And there are other things on that job description, by the way, When people get old enough, like your kids, to be able to tell you, you need to be engaging them in the process. So about every six months, I ask my kids to have a meeting, and their task is to tell me the top three things they feel that they need me to do in order for me to be a good mom and for them to feel like Mm. I'm a good mom. And it's the best exercise to do with other people in your life because what they tell you, I swear, will always be less. (laughs) you expect of yourself so you can drop those balls. Once I'm clear about my new job description, I feel confident knowing that if I dropped the ball on almost anything else that wasn't on that job description, I might have to face the consequences. Let's be clear about that. But I'm still a good ex. I'm still a good mom. I'm still a good wife. I'm still a good sister. I'm still a good CEO. And that makes all the difference in psychologically, you knowing that each and every day you're doing exactly what you're supposed to in order to move your life and the world forward. Ah, oh, that is so useful. And I love that that this exercise you do with your kids gives them the opportunity also to decide what they like and what is important to them in intimate relationship. Because I mean, our parents are the most intimate relationships we have up until, I don't know, whatever age we have our first real intimate romantic relationships, I guess. Um, But that's such a, a beautiful exercise for them. It is in the context of what matters most to me and my highest and best use, right? If you asked, they have a father, if you asked him (laughs) what matters most to him, he would probably say something about academic excellence and being self-sufficient. His highest and best use is sitting down and making them do all of these math exercises. Hmm. (laughs) He's a great mathematician. He's a great engineer. And for better or for worse, his kids will be good at math. Yeah. Right? So that's why it's so important for you to determine first what matters so that you can direct your energy and your time and your resources and talent into fulfilling that, you know? Yes, I want them to be conscious global citizens, but what else does that mean? Well, it means that probably whether or not they get into an Ivy League school is not my highest priority. For some parents, it could very well be. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Okay. All right, that's Tiffany Dufu. I I mean... Like listening back, it reminds me why it was the most popular episode of all time. But why Why do you think that it was so popular? Like why – what connected with Tiffany f- for our listeners? Mm. Well, I think there's a lot in there. There's that – I mean it seems obvious, but even in this age of, of – you know, taking better self-care and wellness. Tiffany points out that too many people are under a lot of pressure from what she she calls job descriptions that they didn't even write. Yeah, I mean, I've, make them up. Yeah. yeah, I've certainly felt like this before. They're cross-cultural. They are really heavy. They are actually really restrictive. Um, 
And this idea that you can have more control over what you're spending time doing is a really essential idea that everybody should remember and and honor more often. And her idea of finding whatever your highest and best use is has really stuck with me over the years. It's changed the kinds of projects I accept. It's changed how often I step forward versus step back. I don't know if you've noticed, Ben. Um, <laughs> it's It's been really healthy for me to ask myself, is this the thing that best serves, can I, is this the best way to spend my time? Really? Is it, does it need me on it? Or can it be somebody else who will probably do an even better job? So thinking critically about the way that you spend your time and what you're really devoting yourself to is a lesson I think that everybody needs. All right. What's next, Ben? Ken Page. Hooray! Ken Page wrote one of your favorite books. I think favorite books ever. The book is called Deeper Dating, How to Drop the Games of Seduction and Discover the Power of Intimacy. And uh, he's also a psychotherapist. And um, what what do you love so much about Kim? I mean, you you did an Instagram Live with him. He did. What, what is, tell me more about Ken Page. Ken Page, I think, is so special because he has really clear, memorable, novel ways of identifying experiences that we've all had looking for intimacy and love, but maybe have never really put words to before. And there was one that really, really resonated with me, and I know really resonated with you, Ben, and that is, what is it? The core gifts the or the, the wave of uh, distancing, wave of distancing. The yeah. wave of distancing. So you're going to hear about that next. It's a really great thing to know about. I don't think enough people recognize it. And um, yeah, you'll hear about the wave of distancing and you'll you'll hear about core gifts, which are two really important aspects of what Ken offers in his book. Let's kick it off with gift theory. Um, we've all we've all got gifts. We know that. But how does this relate to dating and intimacy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hugely important and it is counterintuitive. So when you normally think of gifts, you think of a strength, a quality that is kind of just positive, like gifts as opposed to wounds or weaknesses. Mm. But in fact... That is not an adequate understanding of what it means to be human. We, in fact, live in a swirl that I call the gift-wound matrix. And the key piece about that is people often say, well, my gifts come out of my wounds because they made me stronger. But I think that our wounds come out of our gifts. And our gifts are the places we feel the most deeply. And they are parts of ourselves that the world often doesn't understand or steps on. And we don't understand because they are portals to a much greater self. They don't fit. Our gifts don't fit inside our being. It's like we're just too sensitive or we're too fierce and too passionate. There's so many different ways. Uh, Usually it would fit into two categories. It would either fit into a category of gifts of deep sensitivity or gifts of intensity. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, it's a mixture of both. And our gifts are the places we feel we don't fit into the world because of our differentness. But those gifts are vast and important parts of ourselves. Like some people have called core gifts like shards of God inside us. They're too big to fit. They're vast. They're portals to bigger spaces. And we find them in the heart of our deepest insecurities. And all of us need to learn how to name and excavate and then finally cherish these core gifts. So every place You've told yourself, I'm too sensitive. There's a process to reframe that and think, how is this connected to my deepest gift? What if this was a gift that was so powerful that it was hard to manage? Every place where you feel like you're too much or too intense or you care about things more than other people, what if those were not your weird spots? What if those were not curses? What if those were your most profound gifts? And they are. And they are the parts that will lead you to a relationship that could be wonderful. And it's true. It changes our world when we honor ourselves from the inside out instead of focusing on fixing ourselves Mm. from the outside in. Right. And 
This to me is a formula that's like the deeper physics of dating. The degree to which we cherish those gifts, not accept them, but live from them and cherish them. To that degree, and this is like kind of almost miraculous, but it's true. To that degree, we are going to find ourselves sexually and romantically attracted to people who treasure us for who we really are. And the converse is true as well. The degree to which we kind of push those things aside and think, well, I'll show them when I meet the right person, or we feel ambivalent, we don't really totally embrace them, or we actually maybe even feel deep shame around them. To that degree, we're going to end up sexually and romantically attracted to people who hurt us and to masochistic situations. Because our core gifts are the center of our very being, and until we treasure them, we will be lost. That's the profound (gasps) essence of this. The parts of you you've been most embarrassed about are your sacred parts. And this, this leads to how you can all discover, how all the listeners can discover their own core gifts. Okay. And here's how. I'm going to share an exercise. Just take, take about two days. Have a journal, have your phone, and what I'd like you to do is to note two things in those two days, again and again. Note the things that hurt you in your interactions with the world. Note what they are. When you notice that kind of pain, even if it's like kind of a paper cut pain, like you don't notice it at first, it's so little, and then then it stings after the interaction. Notice the pains that you feel, the places that you feel hurt, even mildly hurt in your interactions. And instead of telling yourself you're being too sensitive, instead, I want you to think, okay, this obviously marks a place where I care pretty deeply, or it wouldn't hurt. What is it that I am caring about? Mm -hmm. What's the value in this that's being stepped on or hurt? Mm -hmm. That will identify a core gift. And if you do that for two days, I could pretty much promise you there'll be two or three different things that come up again and again, because the places we get hurt the most are the places we care the most. The places we care the most are our core gifts. Mm -hmm. And the other one is to notice the things that give you joy that fill your heart. And they could be silly things. They could be strange things. But just noticing the things that just like cause like a kind of a wave of warmth or peace or pleasure or giddiness, notice what they are. And with those, don't just pass over them as nice moments. Think here, how might this be a fuel that I need for my own joy in life? How might this be something really important about what fills my heart and inspires me. And after two days of doing that, it'll be like a connect the dots puzzle. A picture will emerge and it'll be a picture of your key core gifts. And when you do that, it's like finally finding the user's manual for your life. Now, this brings up the point of what I think is the greatest single saboteur of healthy love that exists. And it's what I call the wave or the wave of distancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Please tell me about that. So so this wave of distancing, I believe, is what kept me single for decades and decades. And I just can't believe that no one had a name for this that they could tell me about. I mean, the closest thing was that Groucho Marx concept of that I wouldn't want to be a member of any country club that would have me as, as a member. Oh, yeah. And I remember hearing that. It was like being stabbed by truth. Oh, like, man. Oh, oh, oh. But, but what I didn't know is that this is a thing, this wave of distancing. And when I speak to a crowd of people, pretty much always between half and two-thirds of the crowd, when I ask them if they suffer with this, will raise their hands, yes. And so here's what it is. It is when you meet somebody and there's some attraction, you're attracted to them, and then over a little bit of time, you find that they're not going anywhere. They're interested. They're present. Mm. And that there is not that spice of them coming and going, treating you well, not treating you well, making you feel like you're not enough and you have to earn their appreciation. They're just steady. Now, they could be fierce and smart and capable and um, sexy and wonderful in all these different ways, but that 
particular spice of unavailability and feeling like you have to prove yourself isn't there. And so all of a sudden, they start seeming less desirable. And you want to go back to the thrill of the hunt. Or Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like you notice that their ears are just like, how did you not notice this before? Their (sighs) ears are just like so unattractive. Or I hate that laugh. I never noticed it before. But these things come up that, you know, make you feel kind of repulsed or distanced or bored. And then you feel like two things. One thing is all right, I better get out of here because this isn't fair to them because I'm obviously not interested enough and it's going to feel horrible to me if I get any more entrenched and then have to pull away. So you want to leave for that reason. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you feel is, oh my God, am I screwed up? Am I immature when it comes to intimacy? Like, oh, but I am. And I have to look for someone I'm more attracted to. Mm. And that is what happened to me, along with the attendant sense of sadness and emptiness for decades, from when I was like 20 years old Mm. until I was um, a lot older, (laughs) a lot older, (laughs) in my 40s. Um, And I felt helpless around this, and I didn't understand that it was a thing. And here is the thing that it is. It is a wave of fear. It is a spasm of fear, just like a mother bird that if you get close to its babies, it'll attack you Mm -hmm. or it'll play dead on the floor. It's your psyche knowing this is someone who could, you know, it's not conscious, but this is someone who could really, really pull the rug out from under you. Because if someone like this lets you go, then you have nothing. And so we protect ourselves by getting afraid or highly judgmental or some kind of combination thereof. And what I didn't realize is that it's a wave. And what do I mean by it's a wave? It hits you. It slams into you, it knocks you over, and then it goes away. And I never stayed long enough for it to go away because no one ever told me two things. One, don't flee. Don't flee when you feel the wave. Stay. And the other thing is back up a little bit because you're terrified. You just don't know it. And you need air and room and space. That is the great medicine at that juncture. So if you feel not ready to have sex, even though you've had sex already before, or you don't feel ready for that weekend away, shift backwards Give yourself space. You might want to like go for a walk with them and their dog because you love the way they are with their dog. And allow yourself to kind of almost fetishize the qualities that you like about them. Let yourself enjoy them. Take pleasure in them. Have sexual fantasies about the parts of them that at that moment you're interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do that, if you don't pressure yourself, you give yourself room to breathe and you don't flee, really something amazing will happen almost always. The wave will pass And when it passes, your feelings are going to come back again. And when they come back, you will also have a better sense of if this person is right for you or not. Mm. Nobody teaches us this. Nobody teaches us this. That's so true. Thank you for sharing that. Cool. Core gifts, waves of distancing. Core gifts, waves of distancing, these are terms that a couple of years ago I'd never heard of. And and I think about them and talk about them weekly. I've recommended Ken Page's Psychology Today article so many times yeah. now to explain these concepts to people. And every single person is like, wow, that was really useful. Yeah. But like, okay, they're useful. They're nice. They explain something. But how, how can it lead to actual change? Like how do these ideas change people's relationships or or – what can people do in the next 12 months to actually apply them? Or how, how does this relate to people having a better year this year? Mm. Well, I think the thing is, you can't change it until you see it. And you have to be aware of your patterns. So a thing that people love to do at New Year's, we mentioned it before, is that you start these these new patterns. Well, you try to start these new habits. Yeah. You try to get yourself into a new pattern. But if you haven't seen the thing that's actually kind of the, the self-destructive thing that maybe you're engaging in or the thing that isn't really serving you, you can't really do anything about it. And I think that in order to do something about these frustrating patterns and relationships, you need the right words for it. You need somebody really clear and compassionate like Ken Page to to just show you, hey, this might be a thing that yeah. is 
messing up your goals. And I really don't think there's anybody who does it better than Ken. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of the, in some ways, the perfect simplifier guest. He can get these complicated things into a simple way. Yeah. He's memorable. He's, yeah, like you said, compassionate comes across in the voice and how he, the yeah. way that you're to your interview. My God, it was so sweet. <laughs> it was one of the snuggliest <laughs> audio experiences I've ever had. Yeah. All right. All right. And then for the last one, we want to share a good chunk of our interview with Liz Foslian. Um, Liz Foslian is an expert on emotions at work. She's also an amazing illustrator. She makes these hilarious, like, cartoons. I love them. Um, the books that maybe you've heard about are Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay, and No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. Um, how, Like, what do you remember about this? What's what stuck with you, or, or why did you want to include Liz Foslian? Mm. So Liz, she's also another really – she's so great at putting – big, complicated ideas into memorable words and images. That's the thing you'll really notice about her illustrations if you go and check them out. It's amazing what she's able to communicate in just a few words or just a few pictures. And that's also true in this interview. The things that have stuck with me the most, the first one is the smile file, which right. maybe we'll talk about later. But the thing I think that's the most useful and, and impactful is this um, this idea of, of what feedback really is. And why it matters. You might think that you understand it already, but feedback is so important. And Liz shown this kind of new direction of light on it that made me understand a new facet of feedback that I think is really important to to think about as you go into 2023. All right. Let's just hear it. Yeah, All let's, right. let's just do it. Let's hear it. Here's Liz. was hoping that we could talk a little bit about feedback. What can I do to be a better recipient of feedback? Yes. A um, few specific things. One is create a smile file. And so it sounds cheesy, but bear with me. So this is a folder you create on your desktop, in your email, wherever. And every time someone says something nice about you or thanks you or just does something or says something to make you smile, you save it into your smile file. And then when you get a piece of negative feedback, you can actually return to that file and read all these wonderful things about you. And then it's actually easier to see this one piece of constructive criticism as a single data point. And maybe you need to make a change, but it's not like a, you know, a teardown of who you are, which is often what it feels like when you first receive mm -hmm. that. Another really valuable thing is um, take notes. So just even if you're having an emotional reaction, write down the piece of feedback you received, put it away and then come back to it later when you're in more of a calm state. And that's maybe when you have the calmness of mind to look at it and say, okay, I should make a change based on this. Um, I learned that when I've applied. My mom is sort of my the PR person I never asked for. So anytime I tweet or post something on Instagram, she'll text me five minutes later and just be like, I'm not sure this makes you look professional or you misspelled a word here. And I've started to write those down because often she's right. But I just have this like, you know, rebellious teenager reaction where I'm like, mom, <laughs> get off my Twitter. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, write it down. Come back to it later. There might actually be some truth in the feedback you're getting. I think that's that's really good advice in general. Just cool off a little bit. Um, you also nuance your section on feedback in a way that I, I have to say I haven't seen a lot of other books do. You explicitly address how men and women or women and people of different racial backgrounds might get different kinds of feedback or get get it with a different scope. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, there's actually a research study that looked at performance reviews over six years at a big tech company. And they found that women tend to get much more vague feedback than men. So where a man might hear, hey, in the deck that you shared, slides two and three are repetitive, delete one. And at the end, maybe sort of st stand up a little straighter to project more confidence. Super specific and actionable. A woman might hear, hey, your comments missed the mark or the deck didn't really land for me. And the reason that those are so bad is because it's impossible to figure out what to do next. Like, I don't know if you tell me my comments missed the mark, I have no idea what I should change. So I'm just left there anxiously thinking through every single word I said. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then probably thinking through every word I say for the next six months, trying to figure out when my comments are missing the mark. And so it's so important to create, I mean, one, just to give good feedback, but to create an equitable workplace, to give everyone feedback that is specific and actionable. So it's really always the thing I like to say is, where is the person now? Where do you want them to be? And then what are the very specific steps to help them get to that place you want them to be? The other thing I'll say about feedback, um, and this story came from a friend who's a black female engineer. And so in engineering on teams, they do this thing called code review, which is where someone has written the code and you sit with another engineer and you go line by line through every part of the code and give feedback or, and it's, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So what an afternoon. I know. Um, So it can be very stressful, but it's also, this is actually where you learn what you need to do to level up as an engineer. So if you're not doing this, you actually don't know what you need to improve and you're never going to learn and grow. And so what, again, my friend told me is that she was sitting during code review and she was, again, the only female on this team and the only black person. And so she noticed that when these white male coworkers would sit next to each other, they would just rip into each other's code. They'd be like, line two is terrible. Line three, you obviously forgot the semicolon. Line four, there's such an easier way to write this out and would just like mercilessly throw feedback at each other. Mm -hmm. And then when they sat down with her, they would be like, oh, you know, overall, it looked great. Um, There's maybe something slightly you could change at the end, but generally, I think you're doing fine. And it was because they were uncomfortable around her and like just were afraid to have these little moments of like, yeah, it's hard to give feedback. It feels bad to get feedback, but it's still sometimes the best thing you can do for the person. So she finally ended up sitting them down and saying like, hey, I just want you to treat me the same as your other coworkers because I'm not learning. I don't know what I need to do differently. And it's actually you're creating a more unfair workplace because you're just not comfortable having these awkward moments with me. So like have the awkward moments with me. If there's spinach in my teeth, tell me there's spinach in my teeth. I want to know. So I'm not walking around the rest of the day with spinach in my teeth. And then she said it got a lot better, but that was kind of the opposite problem where people just like wanted to be supportive and like nice to her. And in doing that, they were actually holding her back. Whew. It really hit me reading that. It it makes so much sense. And there's so much that we can do that's not great through good intentions. Yeah. The one one more thing. I have a lot to say on this, obviously. Please go on. Yeah. Um, this is sort of back to gender differences in research around feedback in the workplace. Often men are afraid to give feedback because they think that the woman will feel sad and then she'll cry. And I think that's just a deep misunderstanding of why women cry in the workplace. So out of all the women surveyed, most of them said, I don't cry when I'm sad in the workplace, or if I'm crying, it's not a sign that I'm sad. It's a sign that I'm really frustrated. And so I think understanding that is really useful. One, if you're a manager and you see someone crying, understanding that like there might be a barrier to their progress. There might be something that's unfair. It's probably not a sign that they're like sad or whatever. It's like something is wrong and we should help address it. And then also, if you are one of these men that was surveyed and said like, oh, I'm afraid of giving feedback because she'll cry. No, you know, that's probably not what's going to happen. Like give the feedback, give it in a nice way, make it specific, make it actionable so it doesn't tear apart someone's self-esteem. But don't shy away from giving that feedback. Yes. Nice. Yeah. I mean, so we talked about uh, life. We talked about uh, dating. And now and this one was about work. I think it's funny about work because it's such a horrible place emotionally for pe- for some people. I mean, it really can Esther be. Esther Pearl made a whole podcast about it after her relationship one, right? And yeah. people were surprised, but um, I actually heard her talk once and she was like, why? People feel miserable and helpless at work like they do in relationships sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where we need to spend a lot of time understanding right. how to speak to each other and deal with emotions. And um I think Liz uh, Fossilian, like we just heard, gets that. And the smile file, you love the smile file. I love the smile file. It's something I didn't take seriously initially, but I did start one last year. And it's just a it's just a note. It's a digital note. I just copy paste feedback that I get in there. And it if I'm having a crappy day, even if I'm having a great day, why not enhance it? I'll just look at the smile file. It's great. I really recommend it. Yeah. I was thinking like, what if we were as prepared and thoughtful about our emotions at work as we were about like quarterly planning. Indeed. 
I mean, of course, like also dealing with emotions leads to better performance. It leads to better decision making. Yeah, for sure. If you think about how many people have made rash decisions, absolutely. Um, you know, knee jerk, hurt, or overly mm-hmm. excited, or something. Emotions. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but also like a bit of humility and not taking yourself too seriously. That's cool that you have a, a smile file. I I don't. I, I do have an achievement. Should. I have an achievements file. I have like an achievement. I don't have that. But I it's empty. Work on it. All right. Well, I'm going to pro- <laughs> <laughs> This is a blank. It's- we we once instated a calendar date for every month to write down our biggest achie- our like three biggest achievements. <laughs> we did it once. We did it once. We have to do it again. 2023, you and me, <sighs> achievement yeah. file. I don't want to do resolutions. We're not going to do resolutions. It's on the calendar. It just is. Okay. Well, then we're we going to actually it. do it this year. Cool. That's not a resolution. It's just a promise. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. Hooray! My favorite way to end. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is the best way. Yeah. So usually we recommend more books about the topic that the episode deals with, but we didn't interview one author today. So what what should we do, Ben? You you yeah. have a plan. I mean, I thought we could give people a book or some like recommendation that could make their 2023 better. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So this is a book that is available on Blinkist, though, honestly, I think that you might get the most bang for your buck by checking it out on Blinkist and then buying the actual book. It is a classic, one that I was really resistant to for a long time, but it's The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I did The Artist's Way last year, and it's it's an unblocking process for people who are experiencing writer's block or just want greater creativity, and it was the best thing I did for myself last year. It's a 12-week thing that has concrete exercises that you can do to reignite the creativity in your life and all kinds of other stuff, too. Have dreams for your life. It makes it sound like I was really sad and broken down. And the beginning of last year was really rough. It's very dark in Berlin in February and Mm -hmm. March. And it was I really needed this. And a lot of things came out of it. I have a better idea as to what I want for my own future. I also started painting, which was a thing that I didn't even know. I had in me. And uh, I did a show. I did a show. show. It's true. I did an exhibition. Um, I've sold a bunch of paintings, which is no really marker of achievement. But it's something I started doing because of the artist's way. I did it for pure pleasure. I started sharing them on Instagram. People actually liked them. Um, And I love it. It's a thing that I do almost every day now. So I really think that doing the artist's way will be a positive change for anybody who really devotes themselves to it. I know it sounds like it might be a little cheesy, but... Give it a look. The main thing that you have to do is just morning pages. It's journaling every morning. But crack it open. That's my recommendation. The artist way. Yeah. Um, mine is similar. I'm trying to think of a segue. Mine is similar in that it was recommended to me or people have talked about it also when it comes to like finding motivation inside yourself, finding something you can connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Build by mm-hmm. Tony Fidel. Okay. Um, so you know about the great resignation since COVID? Yes. So everyone's like trying to find more meaning at work and yeah. resigning. I think, right, people are thinking about their careers and career moves in 2023. People are a few years older than when the pandemic started. Um, I'm a manager. <laughs> Let me say that in a less horrible way. That's my al- boss, you guys. I'm also a manager. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested in like w- what motivates people at work. And I think... This is, has some good and clear-headed advice about career in the tech space, like careers and what you can do. And mm. he helped build – Tony Fidel was involved in building the iPod, the iPhone, Nest. He's it's, it, He built some of the most iconic products in tech history. And it, so the book is sort of split between his path and stuff he learned and what he advises younger people now, mm-hmm. but also some of his – hard-earned lessons about how to build and how to build creative and how to work in teams and how to be, you know, how to make that work. So I I, I felt soothed just reading about someone's career path, and I can recommend it for sure. Build by Tony Fidel. Cool. All right, then I guess we're ready for 2023 now, right? I think we are. I think so, too. I hope that the ideas that we've talked about today are are helpful and useful to you. And I think that trying just one of them and finding a way to implement it in your life this year, just ask yourself the the questions that they bring up. Um, 
I think it, it'll make a difference. Yeah. I mean, could we recap them? Like life, sure. relationships work, life being high, find your highest purpose. What are you spending your time on? How are you talking to people about that? Yeah. Um, Ken Page, figure out what your core gifts are because th- that's the actual special thing that will make you feel really rooted and seated in yourself and help you find the right people. And the yeah. wave of distancing, which, you know, is just we all get the ick sometimes. <laughs> and yeah. that's actually a really natural part of the process. And all you need to do is stick through the ick. Yeah. Yeah. And work. Work. Um, feedback is a critical component of your work life. And it is a way to show people that you're invested and you care. It's a way to get everybody on equal footing. If not everybody is getting equal feedback – then not everybody can advance equally. And it's just really important to, to do that and remember that feedback is a gift that you're giving yeah. and give it in the spirit of a gift, not a punishment. Yeah. We will put some links and some other goodies in the show notes so that you can take it further. We'll link to the books that we talked about. Um, hey, we've been through a lot the past couple of years. Look at us. We're going to start 2023 like cool people that can handle anything. Absolutely. I, I have a good feeling. I, I mean, I don't think I'm jinxing it. I feel pretty confident it's going to be a better year. I agree. And and to give people something else, we yeah. want to. We're we, gonna, yeah. we like to start the season with a gift, right? Yeah. So we're going to link to it in our Instagram, actually, which you can find through the show notes. It's a tool that is from a guide that we made at Blinkist this year called Beating Procrastination and Distraction. It's from Nir Eyal, who wrote this indestructible book. Right, yeah. So the tool is called Turning Your Values into Time, which is really what we talked a lot about today, what all of these authors talked about. And Nir helps you with these three questions. I think it's just three questions. Helps you look at the way that you live your life and the different arenas in your life, so relationships, self-care, work, and identify what you're actually working toward, how you can how you can have a year that is defined by your values and you can use your time in service of those. So totally free. We're just going to put it on Instagram. Go find it. We hope that you enjoy it and it helps you get your 2023 off to a good start. Yeah. I mean, f- like for the past few months, only subscribers had access to this. That's true. Um, subscribers of Blinkist, mm-hmm. where Caitlin and I work. Yeah, by uh, the way. Yeah, I hope people try it. I mean, I think it's worth blocking out 10 minutes, 15 minutes yeah. to, to just write some thoughts down on this or whatever, go for a walk and, and just ponder it or talk about it with a partner or a friend or a kid or whoever, um, a parent, <laughs> depending on how old you are, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like you said, it'll be on the Instagram. Yeah, I guess that's it. So I don't know. I guess we're done. Happy 2023. And um, thanks for being here. I really miss this. So. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. If you want to suggest an author for Caitlin to interview or or for us to check out, just shoot us an email, podcast at Blinkist.com. Yeah, get in touch with us. We want to know what you want to hear. Please tell us. Um, that's it. This episode was produced by you, Ben Schumann-Stoller, me, Caitlin Schiller, and Odie Constantino. And thank you so much to Tiffany Dufu, Ken Page, and Liz Foslian for just being wonderful. Yeah. See you all soon. Be good. Bye. Bye.